0: Your life has been a steady series of defying expectations and setting new precedents. Your journey has gone from being a groundbreaking girl in your family to becoming a groundbreaker for all the girls in your country. As a mentor, you inspire countless young women, and some are taking your example to new heights. You're listening to 2233, a podcast of exchange stories.
1: I think it's a fun... <laughs> I always remember. This is a funny story because I told you that it was my first ever flight. So I went to the bathroom and the, during the flight and I locked myself in. I, I didn't know how I could can can come out. So I, I like stayed there for half an hour. I didn't know what to do. And then the air hostess physically, she started knocking. And I was like, hey, can you please open the door? <laughs>
0: this week a groundbreaking girl in the family walking the streets with no fear and mentoring malala join us on a journey from pakistan to the united states to become the perfect example of the multiplier effect it's 2233 we report what happens in the united states warts and all
1: exchange is shaped to who I am. When you get to know these people, they're not quite like you. You read about them. They are people very much like ourselves. Oh, that's what we call cultural exchange. Oh, yeah. My name is Nikita. Uh, I'm from Pakistan. By training, I'm a lawyer. uh, But uh, right now, I'm running a non-profit organization that I founded in 2012. The foundation name is Digital Rights Foundation. Its main work is around raising people awareness around uh, cyber issues. I participated in the International Visitor Leadership Program in 2009. The topic was basically related to intellectual property rights because I was practising law back then. my first time you know flying outside Pakistan I never uh, you know I never had an experience to see the plane or had an experience to 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 be on a flight and that was a pretty long flight so yeah I mean that was my very first flight <laughs> I was very anxious because it was it was my very first travel. I had only seen U.S. or other Western countries in the movies, uh, but when I landed here, you know, everything was like as if I'm in a movie or I'm watching a movie, and it wasn't like it wasn't like real to me. It was it was very interesting because I kept telling myself. I did it, I did it, I'm here. I think I should mention that I, I'm the very like the the first woman in my family who studied law but then who also got got a chance to fly to US in under this, you know, prestigious program. So it was an honor for me and for my family. I belong to a very conservative Punjabi family back in uh, Pakistan. And I know that it was a, a uphill task to get a permission from them to travel to U.S. under this program. Some of my friends and, you know, they spoke to my parents and my father was very convinced, but my brothers were not. You know, it's like a patriarchal society. And so my father was like, would you come back to Pakistan? <laughs> and I was like of course uh, I'm not going there forever I'm just like it's a very good it's an honor for me that I'll be there for three weeks and you know I'll meet with different people and you know like experience the culture and see what is happening there how I can bring those best practices back to the country and I think the the hardest part was because I had a divorce just like recently and uh, I had a six months old baby so they were hesitant and they said that we'll take care of the baby you go My father was very proud of the fact that my daughter can speak English, <laughs> and uh, so during the meetings when I was talking to different people, you know, talking about our context, the work that we do, or you know, the situation of uh, intellectual property rights in Pakistan, so th- there were several moments where I was like, I wish my father was here and he could see me that uh, I'm actually talking to, you know, people who are in the bigger position in the U.S. government, and we are. Talking Talking to them, so you know. I went to it was DC, North Carolina, uh, New York, and Texas. It was like really uh, different culture, even accent, right? Once I was in D.C., I felt like it's like Islamabad, which is like Pakistan's capital. So it's like every other capital. But then when we went to North Carolina and Texas, Texas, I felt like it's a mini Pakistan or something because I got that kind of impression. And New York was, gosh, it was, you know, it was such a, a interesting experience because everyone was just like running around and so busy and Texas and North Carolina wasn't like that. I wish I could have, you know, like, could could have visited more states. I felt that uh, in lots of meetings, people were a little amazed that, oh, a woman from Pakistan is actually talking about intellectual property rights, and so it was a little surprising for them because I think the notion... Uh, around Pakistani women was something similar like a one one woman and, or, or, you know, like in the region that women do not go outside home or do not work or uh, I I broke that taboo, you know, in couple of meetings. But then there were people who worked in Pakistan, you know, and then, you know, told me like really interesting stories. So it was like mix of experience. There were some like, you know, some people were like, oh, Pakistani food is amazing. And, you know, Pakistani dresses are amazing and northern areas are awesome. And also like felt really good when people were like, oh, I love this thing of Pakistan. And I was like, oh, wow, people know about us. So, yeah, that was nice. <laughs> I remember because it was my first travel uh, and coming from a lower middle class family, I had, you know, like no experience of using forks and knives. <laughs> I'm, 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 I am a very casual person. So we our host in North Carolina I believe they took us to so first of all you know they asked us that do you have any allergies from with pets and stuff and I was like I'm a little scared of cats so they were like oh, we have like three cats so we'll we'll you know take you out for dinner you'll have you know like a com- comfortable environment around you they took us to this fancy restaurant <laughs> and I didn't know how to use you know like folks at knife, uh, and I was a little nervous uh, and I think my host sort of you know like felt that so she started eating with hands just to show me that you can do it it's fine it's normal <laughs> so I started doing the same so you know like small little acts of kindness where you know like they try to make their entire environment comfortable around you Freedom of walking on the road, reclaiming your public space uh, without a fear of, you know, being catcalled or harassed. Or I'm not saying that it's harassment, it's not here, but no one is staring at you. Like no one gives, you know, like any like they are OK, whatever you are wearing or. So that was very new to me. And I felt so much freedom. Like I walked. I remember I walked so much. Because you don't get that freedom in Pakistan, and still don't, you know. You, you The moment you step out of your homes, you start facing harassment. I can walk, I can walk myself. I don't need to get any permission from anyone. Still, whenever I travel, you know, I still enjoy that freedom, which we don't have back in, back in Pakistan. I'm a women's rights activist as well. And I'm very much part of the social justice movement and also work with the young feminist uh, as well. Uh, So a lot of work that I do, I mean, it's actually related to digital rights and online violence against women and marginalized communities. But also, you know, like the work that people do in the offline space. As a lawyer, I kind of, you know, keep contributing into the legislations. So yeah, so there's this activism part where I keep raising voices uh, around the violation of the human rights and women's rights in the country. I think the harassment in the online space is sort of similar across the world, but I think the consequences of that harassment are very different according to the context and background of different countries. The issue around non-consensual use of intimate images, which people here call revenge porn, if something like that happens here, I'm not sure if the consequences were you know, like really lethal for for young women. But when it comes to Pakistan, it's like the end of somebody's life. If something like that happens there, so most of the time women have no, no, no place to go to. They don't know who to seek, from where to seek help. What happens is that there are so many incidents where a woman committed suicide and they don't know like if there is a law, how they can use that law or if they can t- because there's a shame attached to it. That why did you share those pictures at first place? It's a it's a shameful thing uh, in our society. So what basically we are doing is awareness-raising sessions in the universities. and But it's a big population, 200 million people in Pakistan. So how many people you will reach out to through social media or through TV channels or through your uh, on-ground awareness-raising sessions? So in 2016, we started the Cyber Harassment Helpline. Uh, it's a toll-free helpline, the very first in the region. From 2016, December 2016, up till now, we have received more than 3,000 calls and i don't think that every month we see our list of calls and i don't think that we have like two or three prank calls that's it people who call us they have genuine issues so the helpline doesn't just provide services we provide three kinds of services when people call us we see that if O'Shea is in a panic situation or he's in a panic situation then our our uh, counselors speak to them for some time to calm them down and and then the law if they need a legal help our lawyers help them if they need the digital security support we do that but also at the helpline we we re, uh, issue six months uh, report and that report is not just the numbers that report is also you know like identifying gaps and also how how if law is working for the people or not so it's like you know an advocacy tool for people and also parliamentarians so they'll actually wait for the report and see that what's happening what are the trends what are the forms of violence in the law enforcement people in the political parties they know us you know like we work with the law enforcement which is federal investigation agency and kind of keep pushing them but at the same time we we have we have very like we have our champions in the parliament who kind of keep raising these uh you know issues in the senate committees in the uh, national assembly committees it's a very you know like sweet bitter relationship with the law enforcement because you like keep pushing them and you and you refer cases to them but at the same time you also talk to media when they are not working so they don't like it but I think that's how advocacy works you know things are getting better I would say that most of people now know that this constitute online harassment or we have a law we have legal remedies it's much better than like 10 years ago when we didn't have any legislation or anything or people didn't even know that using online space is their fundamental right or if anything happens to them it's a violation of their fundamental right right. There are other uh, hotlines we have in Pakistan. Mostly, it's like related to uh, mental health counseling, but there was none around cyber harassment. And we looked for examples from other Western countries and couldn't find any helpline or hotline just focusing on online harassment. There were on online bullying or child protection or stuff like that. So it was a first experience for us, and also a lot of responsibility to set a good precedent and to do it in a way where people who will follow the suit they will they would know that all right so the bar is high and trust me every day was a learning day for us still you know like each complaint that we receive it's not like you know like it's not a domestic violence helpline plan where you know the circumstances for cyber harassment is different you know you are either getting a call around a uh, fake facebook page or hacking or hacking in, um, uh, against your whatsapp or your facebook or your gmail or and it's like every every complaint is different so you need to be you need to better be prepared that all right so if the person is asking going to ask me this question how i'm gonna respond Online harassment is not an online issue. It's the mindset of offline patriarchy. What I feel is that women are finding their voice to actually speak against the violation or the violence that they face and i think that's encouraging that uh, they are raising their voice even calling a helpline i have seen that you know some of sometimes we get calls from men who are like oh my wife is facing this or my sister is facing this or my girlfriend is facing this and when we are like why they are not calling to our helpline and they are like because they have no courage to call the helpline they cannot trust so you know like it takes a lot of courage for victim and survivor to trust anyone with their personal information but when we receive calls we find that Women are finding their voice, they're raising it, and it's good. It's good that they're reporting it, and they are, they are getting this courage to use the law, to go to the law enforcement, to reach out to the helpline. But at the same time, I think it's also a sign that more and more women are getting access to technology, and that's why they are facing that backlash. I remember back in 2004, when I was in my law school, I wasn't allowed to carry a mobile phone. And most of women were not, especially who belonged to middle-class families, because that was not the culture. Families used to think, especially male guardians, that it's it's an evil tool. And, you know, a woman will have access to, you know, God knows what. So, you know, that's where we were not allowed to carry them. But male members had access to it because they were males. So I think uh, now the things have changed. And now women have access, not only have access to the mobile phones, but also to the online spaces. So I think it's a sign that the more they are facing violence, it's actually the more they have access to technology. And report like more calls means that they are reporting it because they are like oh we are done with this you know we, we silence is no more an option for us I have been learning so much and in fact I should tell you that the idea of the helpline was basically uh, it was a dream of me and my friend who lives here in the US and she was uh, running an organization uh, working on digital safety and security and I spoke to her I was like I'm so tired and exhausted of you know like getting these complaints because like women reach out to me all the time and I feel like that I don't have time for myself and i burning out and then she was like, you need to have a mechanism because you cannot do it alone. And that's where we we sort of discussed and we came up with this idea of health line. So, you know, like I think that people that I have met here over the time, they are, they are my friends now. Uh, and it's like a sense of community and solidarity and sisterhood also, where you are like that you are not alone. And there are people who are working, you know, in this part of the world. And then you can reach out to them at any time you want to and who are there to help you in terms of ideas or see how you know if they are there there are like situations where you are like i'm i'm helpless you know they are there to help you i feel like there there is a very strong bond with the people who are here in us and who i made friends with you know over the years I think. Me Too has traveled far. It has reached to India and Pakistan as well and it's an interesting question because I'm also um, a lawyer of the first Me Too case Uh, the woman pop star who spoke up against the harassment of uh, another uh, male pop star. Both are pretty famous in Pakistan, actually in South Asia. So she actually uh, raised the voice I'm now working on her case for the last one year. I think that Me Too had an effect, uh, you know, in different parts of the world. Uh, It took its time, you know, to reach to different countries. It's also very contextual. There are like so many other... Elements of the debate like so many small little parts of the debate that are taking place for instance about consent You know like nobody used to talk about consent in Pakistan and people are talking about it People are talking about marital rape people are talking about rape people are talking about harassment at workplace so you know like so many things and also like harassment in 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 conventional ways the case that I'm doing is actually it has not only created a space for debate for women, uh, because so many women came forward with their own powerful stories. But at the same time, I think uh, Me Too also, it is challenging the traditional laws as well. Because why Me Too started? Because the laws failed women for so long, right? And they didn't get the justice. The justice system failed women. That's why they you know, went on to internet and you know started this Me Too. And that's what we are seeing in Pakistan, that the case that I'm doing is actually, the we filed under the legislation and we found so many loopholes in the law. So it's actually challenging the traditional justice system. I would say like broken justice system. Uh, things are happening, sometimes it's tiring. It feels like a lonely journey because, you know, there are like people who are like, oh, why you have gone to the internet and said this and why you are not using the laws. But then, you know, like there is no due process of law. That's why women went on to internet and shared their stories. But I would say it's also, you know, like it's also outrage, right? Women are so angry, and we uh, haven't found any space, you know, any ways to deal with the, and we have been silent for so long, you know. So if internet is giving you that space, why not? because your laws have failed you. And even in Me Too, women who have spoken up, they have been slapped with the defamation suits. I mean, that's the same case in Pakistan as well. So, you know, it's actually speaking up, speaking up about your experiences, it's not easy. It comes with a lot of other, you know, like challenges and problems that you face after you speak up. It's a, it's a difficult and lonely journey, to be very honest. back in 2011 when I first met Malala the workshop basically was around how young girls and women uh, use online spaces safely and securely and the idea was that it's your right to access those spaces so you you know don't think that it's a privilege or don't think that as somebody has to give you that right so it's your fundamental right and also if you are using it how you can use it safely and securely so very basic workshops so Malala came to one of the workshops, and and she spoke there, uh, and she was a peace activist, child peace activist, wasn't really that famous. And then I did another workshop in Malala's hometown, uh, which was a difficult place to do a workshop. Uh, but again, she came and she wanted to learn, And uh, but she also said that I, I'm, I'm focusing more on my studies, uh, so I'm really not using online spaces that much, uh, but I would love to learn that one. I'll, you know, I'll I'll be done with my exams. I'll start using, you know, like Facebook and we'll start my page. And but she was worried about the fake uh, profiles. She was like, I don't know, I'll be attacked with, you know, like so many fake profiles and trolls. And now that she is in Oxford, I went there uh, two years ago. Uh, they invited me for the Pakistan Society in Oxford. They invited me for a lecture. So I went there. Malala came to my lecture. It was so nice to see her. And I was like, remember, you. You know, like I gave you the first workshop around online safety. She was like, yeah, I do. And now that I use online spaces a lot, I I now see the importance of, you know, online safety and all. But yeah, uh, Malala is our pride. And, you know, we are very proud of her and her achievements and the movement she started globally while risking her life. So, yeah. I do risk assessment all the time, the things that we do, but, you know, living in countries like Pakistan, it's also very unpredictable. The things that you do, thinking that it won't have any impact, uh, it won't have any negative impact, or there won't be any backlash, but then suddenly something happens and things escalate. Recently, we had a Women's March. We called it Aurat March because Aurat is a word for, uh, Urdu word for woman. And so we had, like, multiple... Marches across the country in different cities, uh, and thousands of women came out on the streets. It was uh, such a beautiful sight to see because lots of young women reclaiming roads and you know, public space, and chanting and slogans and carrying colorful posters with the very interesting slogans. uh, And some of them were provocative, you know, talking about their personal agency, talking about their sexual identities, their sexual rights, and personal spaces. I think that's where people were just upset that, first of all, how come these women are on roads? They belong to kitchen <laughs> they belong to their homes and secondly that oh it's uh, we they have all the rights what they are asking for and thirdly why they are talking about their sexuality why they are talking about uh, sexuality out in the public so that was very it challenged patriarchy so people were upset so we faced a lot of backlash in the name of spreading vulgarity uh, immorality against Islam, against uh, norms of society. We are still facing a lot of backlash. Um, people tried to file a police case against us. Uh, still there are, there are people who are doing it in Lahore. Uh, some of the resolutions were moved in the provincial parliaments. A lot of online backlash, massive. like. Online backlash with rape threats, death threats, making you know your uh, your Photoshop pictures, uh, photoshopping uh, you know the posters and making them viral uh, with like really really obscene messages and people who are uh, who are consumers on internet they don't know it, whether it is it is fake or it is real so they don't have any idea how to. I, I, you know, differentiate between original and fake stuff. Uh, so it actually brought a lot of, even some of the TV programs that they did on the march, they actually took those fake play cards and posters and showed on the TV. So it was uh, a, a very bad episode of Backlash. And you feel that uh, I'm doing this, you know, Um the cost is high uh, you are putting everyone at risk your yourself your family your your children But then if you won't do it, who will do it, right? So uh, I, whenever I'm like, I face a lot of backlash, I see the video where women are dancing (laughs) after the march, you know, with the very beautiful uh, songs of sisterhood, anthem, and solidarity. And so it gives me a lot of courage and it gives me a lot of inspiration. And it tells me that that's why I'm doing this uh, and we need to keep doing it. family is very proud of me now it seems a long journey where you were not allowed to carry a mobile phone and now you are working actually on women's access to technology Uh, you go on uh, TV channels be part of panels, traveling around the world, talking about the work that you are doing. My parents are not anymore; uh, they were passed in 2014. But uh, until they were alive, they were very proud of the fact that you know our daughter has uh, you know done something that no but no one did in the in the in this you know like millions of population, and they were very proud of the achievements and and it's a it's a very conservative thing to do to talk about your daughters or sisters while you are in the village people don't talk about them but my father used to do it you know in the among several men he used to tell oh my my daughter is doing this and she's traveling for this and so he was very proud i think it was a long journey a uh, long struggle to get to the point where people acknowledge you, uh, and I think your struggle starts from your home. Uh, so everyone now acknowledge that uh, something that you started, it became a movement. So it's not just me doing one work; it's not one person, you know, achievement. It's actually, you know, like a movement that so many women, younger women, have joined. Uh, The organization that I started, it was just one person doing it voluntary like me and somebody else from Karachi, a younger woman who was passionate about digital rights. And now I have like 18 people and 15 are women. It feels good. Being a woman from Pakistan, I didn't get that much attention throughout throughout my life. There is always a priority to sons and uh, men in the family, and we are like just like second-class citizens or something. Uh, so, you know, like getting so much attention was uh, very new to me and I felt really good. And I, I learned that you need to give yourself credit. You need to acknowledge yourself, you need to take care of yourself. So you know, like lots of things that I have learned, uh, I, I did learn during that trip. I remember, you know, one thing. <laughs> I took really, like, really bold decision when I went back. And I was like, uh, when I traveled, I was stuck in this law chamber um, and I was not happy with a lot of things that were going on. And I went back and I was like, you know what i'm not working here anymore <laughs> so you know like that courage and that boldness and my boss was just like he was like what's going on here she was like this very polite you know person and she has just become this like fearless woman and i was like i have so many jobs i trust myself i have confidence i can find many good things and i didn't have any job i just quit <laughs> and, and then I found another job and and I was like that was the best decision because you know the courage the confidence that the travel gave to me and meeting with other people I was like I can do this I can do that so I think that was amazing it changed my life it changed my life it transformed me completely <laughs> And some of the people that I met, I'm still friends with them. So I keep talking to them about their work and it's been 10 years, but still, you know, like we talk and they are like, oh, Nigat, we are so happy. We have seen your journey from, you know, like this person who was very shy and, you know, like uh, hesitant to talk about stuff. And now this, you know, like fearless leader of young woman in Pakistan. <laughs> I went to us and women are doing everything and you are just like restraining me to the office like this small little office and i want to do things and and there was so much stuff and i was like no i don't i, I can't deal with this man anymore and he was a powerful man by the way <laughs> so yeah and then i moved on and um and i also learned one thing that you know taking risk in your life is actually a good thing, it brings success uh, and I learned learned it here you know during my travel while talking to different people and you know different people who hosted us and you know like casual conversations besides the work uh, and I was like wow it's normal right it's you can do it so it's fine so that that's what I did <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that first ever travel in my life really changed my life. Uh, Not just me, but thousands of women around me. Yeah, you are, you're the, you, you're the, like the perfect example of the multiplier effect. (laughs) Yeah, I would like to say so. (laughs) I think you are. (laughs) Yeah.
0: This week, Nigat Dodd spoke about her experiences as a participant in the International Visitor Leadership Program, or IVLP. For more about IVLP and other ECA exchange programs, check out eca.state.gov. We also encourage you to subscribe to 2233. You can do it wherever you find your podcasts, and you can leave us a review. You can leave us two reviews. Why not? And we'd love to hear from you. You can write to us at ecacollaboratory at state.gov. That's E-C-A-C-O-L-L-A-B-O-R-A-T-O-R-Y at state.gov. Photos of each week's interviewee and a complete episode transcript can be found at our webpage at eca.state.gov 2233. Special thanks to Nigat for her courage and commitment to helping girls and women throughout Pakistan. Ana Maria Sinatine did the interview and I edited this segment. Featured music was Day Decompression, Diagram K, and Gaina by Blue Dot Sessions. Fight the Sea, instrumental version by Josh Woodward, and Full of Stars by Philip Weigel. Music at the top of each episode is Sebastian by How the Night Came. And the end credit music is Two Pianos by Tagir Until next time.
1: My family was a little... Uh, Amazed to see me, they were like, Oh, you have transformed so much in three weeks, (laughs) and I was like, Yeah, because I went to US.